Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Trey Reeves. I'm joined today by Garrett Turney. Mitch Mason could not be with us today, but be on the lookout for a couple special episodes that Mitch is um, spearheading later this week. But for our Monday pod, it's just me and Garrett. Garrett, over on the other side of the Metroplex, man, I'm looking out the window. It's a beautiful day. I know we're supposed to get a little... Uh, Maybe a little crate. I heard there's a derecho coming. I'm I'm not familiar with that type of uh, severe weather, but apparently it's going to get pretty gnarly tonight. But right now it's beautiful. Uh, how are you holding up over there, man? No, it's great. A beautiful day across the Metroplex, which is kind of weird because I feel like the past couple of days it's just been you know up and down. Like this whole week was warm, then it got cold again. But that's what you get in Texas Springs. It's you know 80 degrees, then you get a low of like 12. And then it's definitely going to rain, but it's also going to maybe ice. And so, yeah, it just it gets very interesting here. Uh, if any of y'all are in the Metroplex listening, you'll know how that weather gets for us here. But uh, yeah, great day. Uh, excited to kind of talk a little bit about some of these new updates to, uh, you know, some things we've been talking about that may also pertain to some of our friends in Dallas. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into all that here in just a second. We're turning the calendar to March this week. Feels like this year is flying by. We've got spring break season coming up, which is really exciting. Also have spring football coming right around the corner. We've gotten a little Ooh. taste of XFL and USFL action. Uh, I've dabbled <laughs> a little bit into that. It's definitely watching that Vegas game last night was uh, a spectacle. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. If you're a sicko, you you loved that Vegas game last night. But we'll get spring college football back in just a couple weeks as programs are starting to welcome uh, the players back to official practices really soon. And then before we know it, we'll be in preview season ramping up for the um, next regular season. Garrett, we keep thinking, uh, we have some content planned. We keep trying to get it in, but <laughs> we keep getting big news that keeps taking over our podcast feed and taking over our Twitter feed. So that's kind of what we're going to hit on today. There were a few just really big stories that kind of dominated the college football landscape this week as they tend to do. And so we'll get into those here in just a second, but Garrett, as we are coming into spring football i got a quick question i'm going to throw to you kind of off the spot if you're a program what are you looking for in spring football most is it development of your younger guys is it solidifying the older starters if you think you're you know head of a program what are you wanting as we get into spring football well, if I'm the head of the program, first thing I'm doing is I'm just trying to look at things like conditioning, trying to look at you know how the players are. I know it's been just a couple of months since we finished up the season, but you, you want to see how they're doing as far as conditioning goes, as far as being able to retain things from the playbook if they're returning players, or if you got those new freshmen from the early signing period, you want to see how they can adjust to the to the new contact and the new level of football that you're at. So. That's kind of my first thing. If I'm a fan looking at spring ball, I'm only looking for sunshine because the, I don't want to think about how bad my season's going to be next year. I want to talk 
ooh, look at that. Like, ooh, things are going to be really good. I, I've got a little quick anecdote on that one. So I've got a, a good friend from work. Um, he's a huge Georgia Tech fan, and he's super pumped on Haynes King coming in. He's convinced that he's going to be the solution for Georgia Tech. He's got crazy speed and all that. And I said, hey, you know, I've, I've watched enough of the Aggies. You, you might have some issues with them. He's, he's a good player, but might be able – and, man, it seems like every time he walks past my – my room when I'm, you know, working, he's, you know, he's just sitting there and, hey, Haynes going to bring us to the next. So it's it's kind of cool to see, you know, how this stage of the offseason, it can be a really bright spot for pretty much every fan base. It's almost like bad news can't possibly exist, uh, except for all the other fan bases, right? You want to look at your rival and look at, oh, that guy came in, he was a little undersized. And, oh, I heard that y'all had a bad practice that day and there were some penalties. So, oh, the sky's falling. Y'all are going to win four games next year, you know, and so – I think if you're a fan, you're looking for straight sunshine pumping. But if you're a if you're a coach, you're, you're looking more at the development of your players and how they're going to you know latch onto the uh, the playbook and everything like that. Yeah, hope hope absolutely springs eternal, as the saying goes. And you're absolutely right. If it, our three stars, your program's three stars, are performing like five stars, your rivals' programs, new recruits just don't look like they're going to live up to the billing and any little minute piece of news is going to be blown out of proportion either way so looking forward to that looking forward to the nfl combine coming up really soon nfl oh, draft yeah. is right around the corner stay locked we'll be covering all of it right here but garrett as we transition into this week's news some of us if you've been listening to the podcast you probably know what we're going to talk about first and that is the ever evolving saga of pac-12 media rights and if you're thinking man get back to the football get back to you know the bread and butter listen This is a huge part of college athletics. Like it or not, media deals sometimes dictate program success. It's going to give access to more money or less money, probably in the case of these Pac-12 schools that are now trying to compete with these mega conferences. And this really, really matters. So if you're not interested in TV deal discussion, one, you're missing out in the case of the Pac-12 on a really comedic and really funny uh, just saga that's unfolding. (laughs) Um, It's just really easy to point at the Pac-12 and kind of laugh from a distance. But you're also just really neglecting a huge, huge part of what's making these programs, you know, more viable in this new college football world that we're moving into. So Garrett, I'm going to break this down just quickly. Quick review if you're just joining us on this episode of Days of Our Pac-12 Lives. <laughs> the week before the Super Bowl, the rumors start rumbling that SMU and San Diego State are joining the Pac-12. We're speculating on the pod that this might be a, uh, kind of an attempt to broaden the markets, right? Move into the central time zone with SMU and kind of lock down Southern California with San Diego State. But the previous TV deal with ESPN is having real problems. The scheduling's bad. We love to talk about Pac-12 after dark. Not really a good business model, though. Right. It's not going to be good for the eyeballs. It's only really the diehards or the people on the West Coast that are staying up for those games. The production quality was bad. The money was not keeping up with the other conferences. And then one by one, these major players in college sports that we think are going to be taking a stab at these Pac-12 media rights that are going to be up for grabs just start dropping out. CBS and Turner say no thanks. Apple TV kind of stalled for a little bit. Amazon. Uh, looked like they were going to, I know you and Mitch talked about this, but it looked like they were going to offer something that wasn't really um, appealing to the Pac-12. So mm-hmm. then this week, we get the news that a new contender has entered the ring, and we hear the music playing over the speakers of the Ion Television Network. And 
if you're asking yourself, what's the Ion Television Network? If you have DirecTV, go to TV Land and then go up one. <laughs> and that should tell you enough about just where we're at as a Pac-12, right? Like if you're in the same neighborhood as TV Land on the on the dial, not necessarily one we're known for for uh, sports content. So. Garrett, I don't know what your initial reaction was to that news this week. Obviously, it's been coming out. Uh, Stuart Mandel has uh, kind of clarified that Ion is not involved with the TV deal based on a source with direct knowledge of the situation. But when I saw that, first of, my first reaction was, what is Ion? And then I remembered what Ion was, and it made it right. even more funny. No, yeah. Well, so uh, I was when I see the news, I'm at work. And, you know, I, I can't react immediately because i was like you i said wait ion is there like a new sports something that started that's called ion like what is am i saying it right is it ion is it i own is it i o n like what what am i trying to what am i trying to even say here and then you know you realize again you're in tv land you're you know you're down the road from a you know game show network and stuff like that and you start to wonder wait hold on a second here i'm i'm not sure if this is even a, a sports broadcast, so like I didn't realize that they did sports. It's kind of like how, you know, five or 10 years ago, you, you flipped on TBS and you saw March Madness and you said, wait, I didn't know TBS did March Madness. And well, they yeah, did. There's, the whole, there's the whole campaign sudden. that true TV, uh, true TV right. is real, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I was curious about, okay, well, why would they do this? Well, apparently ION, they have 61 local TV stations and they've kind of launched their own thing. They're owned by Scripps. And so they're trying to kind of, I think, branch out and broaden what they're doing. You know, reruns of site can only get you so far. Um, And so, you know, I I think they're just trying to broaden it out. So it can't be too bad, right? You know, they were talking with, you know, Amazon about like a package of games as opposed to full conference rights. You know, they're talking about, hey, we'll take, you know, this time slot and this time slot and maybe one game of the week. And if you're a Pac-12 fan, you didn't want to hear any of that. You don't want to say, well, I hope my team's performing well enough. Otherwise, I won't see them on TV this year. I mean, that's what we had to go through back in like the mid-2000s when we were just, you know, listening on the radio to see if we could find our team on online on the internet or something like that. And so, you know, don't want to revert back to that. You certainly hope your team's on TV somewhere. Um, but, you know, th- those talks kind of stalled out. Apple TV is still technically a player. I think that they're still in the mix for all of this. Um, and, and yeah, some conflicting information with Brett McMurphy saying that Ion is a potential partner. Stuart Mandel comes out, says, I got a source of direct knowledge. That's not happening. It, it's just a really confusing time, I think, uh, for the Pac-12. And, you know, I, I don't want to continue to dunk on SMU or San Diego State or any of them. But, you know, when we brought up the question of is this a good idea, this is what we were talking about, right? We wanted to say, hey, we don't know what the TV deal is going to look like. Are you sure this is even an upgrade? Now, I think competition-wise, clearly it is. But again, this is still possibly not even really an upgrade. And this also leads us into the whole issue with what Forbes is reporting, which I think is really interesting. You know, with Forbes reporting yesterday, uh, as we record this on Sunday the 26th, Forbes reported that it's likely that talks are going to continue to you know, get rolling with the Pac-12 and the ACC to possibly kick up a merger and try to combine that with a little bit of a better media deal, you know, down the line, if they merge conferences, maybe they can leverage more. Neither of those two conferences doing very well in the in the TV revenue space right now. Um, and so I, I'm kind of curious what you think of that possibly, you know, kicking up between the Pac-12 and the ACC. I'm intrigued by that. I think that there's some, you know, there's some real benefits to it, but I'm curious what you think about those two kind of getting together and merging. 
Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's fascinating because definitely the two, not just from a geographic standpoint, but just maybe from an ideological standpoint and even, you know, from a style of play, even down to the style of play, just the conference brand standpoint, ACC and Pac-12, I don't think could be more different brands, Mm -hmm. right? Like the ACC definitely has more with USC and UCLA leaving. The ACC definitely has more historic powers in the college football space, much more of a basketball powerhouse conference as well with the Carolina schools. And I'm just up and down the coast. The ACC always has really good basketball and baseball, right? The Pac-12 merging with them, it's definitely a desperation move. It's definitely, you know, kind of what we've been talking about on this podcast is it seems like there's a musical chairs game happening with four chairs for five power five conferences. And two of those chairs have already been claimed by the SEC and the Big Ten. So it's really three conferences fighting for two chairs. And it seems like this move would be the Pac-12 and ACC conceding that point, making it realize that hey, neither of us are going to be viable on our own. We need to structure something together. And so I was under the understanding that originally this deal was, and Garrett, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the, I was under the understanding that this was just a media rights merger and trying to negotiate their media rights together. But it seems like Forbes is reporting that this is a full-on conference merger, at least for football. And yeah, go ahead. I mean, it could certainly be... It could certainly be a full-on conference merger. I think that there's a chance that they try to, you know, end up... Uh, I think there's a chance that they try to end up merging the two in terms of some amount of athletic competition. I don't know if it would be just a football deal or if they try to include basketball. I know that it could be difficult for some of those, like baseball with the midweeks and, you know, trying to travel for some of those lower-funded sports. It could be a little bit more of a challenge to get those to merge, but... I would think at least from a football standpoint, being able to put more brand names on the table and say that, you know, hey, there's a possible matchup between Clemson and Washington, right? They don't really have a whole lot going on in terms of, you know, what to mix with all these other schools. But if you could have Miami versus Oregon, those are two flashy names. You can put those on a on a TV broadcast and sell some sell some uh, tickets. You could sell some tickets to those games, get some views for those TV stations. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think in terms of, you know, the pros and the cons, I think obviously pros is, I think you're right. You know, the, the big 12 is in a better position right now to grab that third chair than either of the other two conferences between the PAC 12 and the ACC. Clearly the SEC, big 10, they're off. They've got their spots. We're not going to have to worry about them. But I think with what the big 12 has been able to do, bringing in uh, teams ahead of time. I mean, we talked about it last year, when, you know, Texas and Oklahoma leaving meant the death of the Big 12, and are they going to get poached by, you know, the Pac-12? Now they've, they've flipped the script completely just by adding, you know, four teams across the nation and saying we're going we're gonna to stand our ground and, and do what we have to do. I think that they're in a great position, the Big 12 are, to continue to be that kind of third-tier conference, which, yeah, it does leave one share left for the Pac and for the ACC. So I, I almost think a merger almost has to be 
the solution unless you want your teams getting poached by these other conferences, right? That That's really the big, you know, pro for both of these teams is you can keep most of these teams within your conference, um, but, but maybe not all of the teams, which is kind of the, the last little bit that we have here. And this is the last little piece of news with Florida State and Clemson possibly, you know, maybe leaving and, and we're not 100% sure, but there's been some news breaking the last couple of days about that. Um, I, I'm curious what you think about their ability to maintain Florida State, Clemson, maybe talk about Miami or, or teams like that uh, with the ACC, their ability to maintain some of these teams within their conference. Is this maybe, yes, a desperation play for the Pac-12, but maybe the ACC needs this just as much. Yeah, and I, I tweeted this out this week in response to the possible merger. I said, in my opinion, the second this merger is announced, you're going to see Florida State, Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina peace out at a minimum, yeah. and maybe even Oregon and Washington as well. This is fascinating to me because I think that there's two, definitely two tiers of teams that we're talking about here. You have your Florida States, your Clemsons, your Miami, even though they haven't been you know, relevant recently, your Oregons and Washingtons that I think from an interior standpoint, from inside their programs, they think they can compete for national championships, right? Sure. And every other team that we're talking about here in the Pac-12 and the ACC, short of maybe North Carolina, maybe Louisville, maybe, I think that's being a little generous, you, you would look at that honestly and you'd say that your ceiling is not necessarily a – national championship contender short of just one right. magical season, right? Those sure. are not programs that are necessarily built to be the year in year out dynasties that we've seen develop in the South over the last de- couple of decades, right? Not saying they can never win a national championship, but not, they're never going to be a dynasty in this college football universe. Most likely right. For teams that think they can build themselves or have built themselves in the case of Clemson into a dynasty they don't want to be left behind those other major programs in the big 10 and the sec. They are going to be trying their hardest to make sure they are not getting left behind in a revenue standpoint for everybody else though. This deal makes a lot of sense because in 2024, we're moving to the new 12 team college football playoff and there are six auto bids, right? And so we're talking about this musical chairs situation with power conferences and non-power conferences that's kind of going out the window with the top six conference champions champions. As long as they don't change that format, which, you know, they could go back on that any day now, but as long as they don't change that format, if I'm North Carolina or a borderline school, like trying to decide, okay, do I make a jump to a big 10 where it's a significant jump up in competition or an sec um, where it's a significant up and upgrade in competition or do I stay pat and just try to dominate and make it into the playoffs out of the ACC? That's a tough decision, in mm-hmm. my opinion. That is a really, really tough decision for those borderline programs. I think your Boston Colleges, your um, Washington States of the world, no shade to those programs, but I think they're going to be happy to end up, you know, not in the Mountain West or the MAC, right? But for those kind of like on the bubble programs, your North Carolinas, your Louisvilles, your Washington, where they're currently at. Maybe they could build to where they're in that next tier, but Washington right now in 2022, that's a tough decision, I think. So for Florida State and Clemson, I think if this merger happens, they're going to be trying whatever they can to get out. Those are two schools I fully expect 
On the other end, side of the country, I think Washington and Oregon probably would as well. Yeah, probably. There's a, three or four teams, though, that I think have a huge decision that they would have to make on what direction they want to go as a program. Right. Well, and that's a hard decision to make when you think about the money getting thrown at some of these programs, right? Because, you know, it's an easy thing to say we want to be competitive now, we want to stay competitive, but it's a harder thing when you're talking about some of these massive numbers. I think uh, I couldn't find the graphic on Twitter, but I saw a graphic this week of what they were showing to the Florida State um, board to, to see, you know, what the payouts would be and all of that. Right now, the ACC is getting somewhere in the like 20 million range. It might be under 20 million right now. And the SEC is getting about fifty-one per school, and so if you're if you're talking just straight numbers and dollars and cents here, we're talking about thirty million dollars you're leaving on the table by not hopping to the SEC, which is not a small number. I mean, it's it's a bigger number of a gap than you're making in your own conference, right? And so that's a massive amount of money that you could be making up to where you'd say, you know what, if we gotta suck for five years, I might be okay with that for what it's gonna do for our facilities and for our overall budget and for everything else in our athletic department, because we need that 30 million TV revenue more than we need to be good at football for five years. And so I think, you know, you're probably right about some of these borderline teams. I think you're almost more right about teams with windows closing teams like a Clemson, right? Clemson may, I mean, if you think about Dabo, you think about the way that the season's gone these last couple of years, not necessarily being up to what it was at the height of that uh, run that they had with Deshaun and with Trevor Lawrence. I'm thinking, you know, maybe for a Clemson, they might be more willing to say, I want to stay put until this whole thing blows up and then I'll go try to play my name off of, you know, the SEC or, you know, even if you end up in the Big 12, it's not the worst thing, right? They're they're still a good conference with a good TV deal. Whereas I think if you're maybe a UNC or a Louisville, that might actually be, you know, an enticing number to say, hey, 30 million more. Yeah, I'll suck at football for another couple of years. We got basketball. We'll be fine on campus. And if I got to suck at football for a couple of years to, to make a bunch of money back and we can compete in a little while, that might make sense. I think Florida State is the interesting one here, right? They're, they're really interesting. And just a couple numbers that I was able to find for a little bit of context. According to Dennis Dodd, Florida State have a $120 million buyout to get out of the ACC today, right? That This is according to what they're – Readings have been able to talk about and, you know, just kind of estimating some things here be about $120 million, but that only gets them out of the conference. It doesn't get them out of their grant of rights, which Mm. that currently goes through 2036 and could cost approximately, according to David Hale, approximately $350 million. So I don't think we're in any danger of Florida State or Clemson hopping soon, but I do think that this probably puts us in a weird position and four years, five years, right? When we're talking about merging these conferences, when we're talking about a new TV deal. This yeah. could make it really interesting in the next couple of years in terms of who's looking to jump, who's looking to stay, how much money can you bring in, and how far have these other conferences gone along? What if the SEC number goes up to 60 or 70 million, right? What if the Big Ten starts competing up in that 60 to 7 million range? What if the Big 12 with their resurgence, maybe grabs a couple other teams and, and they get up towards 40 or 50 million. Like that would be, those would be huge numbers for all those conferences. And that gives, I think teams like Florida state Clemson, again, North Carolina, Louisville, teams like that, that really gives them something to think about. Absolutely does. It's going to be fascinating to watch unfold over the next couple of years for right now. We'll stick with four teams moving around for 2024. (laughs) Um, But that number could be on the rise. It, It could be really interesting to see, College football as we know it is changing 
by the day, it seems like. And so it's going to be really fascinating to see where all this lands when the dust settles and how the college football playoff. I think there's also, I, I think we're definitely going to see it cool down for the first couple of years of the playoff as we adjust right. to the new ecosystem. So we'll see what happens. ACC, don't know why you signed your rights away for over a decade, but you did that. <laughs> and, you know, that, here's where we're at now. So we'll see what happens. Garrett, I want to transition now to the other huge story this week. Uh, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated was the first to report on this this week. But for three to four years, there's been a group studying how to make college football games shorter. We, we Every single week, we get four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour-long games that just keep running long, running long into new TV windows. I don't know why ESPN and Fox haven't adjusted their TV windows at this point. You know, That's a huge question. You know that 2.30 game is not going to start on time on your no. network. Why are we still... It ain't going to end by six. We know that. Why are we still pretending? They have games on ESPN this year scheduled to start at five and eight on the big ESPN network. Like, no. Everyone that knows that Come is on. not going to happen. That eight o'clock game is going to be on ESPN News or watch ESPN and Everyone over the age of 70 is not going to know how to find that. I digress, but the bottom line is there's been a group that's looking into how can we shorten college football games for about three to four years now. And it looks like, according to Ross Dellinger, at least they have four proposals that are under consideration for this next phase. So those four proposals are, quoting from his Twitter, number one, prohibiting consecutive timeouts. Most of the time we see this during a situation where they're trying to ice kickers. Um, no untimed down at the end of the first or third quarter if there's a penalty. Um, the clock would run on first downs except inside two minutes of a half. And the fourth one, this is the most fascinating one to me, the clock runs on incompletions once the ball is spotted. So, Garrett, I think we like some of these. I think we definitely don't like at least one of these. Uh, I, and speaking for myself, I hate that fourth one. I think that yeah. completely changes the game of football. I'm imagining Air Force trying to ice a game and getting four yards of carry and then just chucking it down the field on third down and then getting to run 40 more seconds off the clock before they punt. But of those other ones, you know, I I think we can all agree that college football definitely has a timing problem. I mentioned the TV windows. I mentioned, you know, you, you and I have been to games in the middle of August or September where it's, you know, 95 degrees in the state of Texas Mm-hmm. 70% humidity and we're standing out there for four, four and a half hours when you factor in once you've gotten to your seat and once you're leaving. That's a really long time. It's definitely, if we talk about player safety, it's a long time for the players to be on a hot or a cold field. More plays are being run. That's definitely, you know, if we're talking about player safety, again, more plays being run is more opportunities for an injury. I do think that college football has a timing problem. Do I think that all four of these are necessarily the best ways to solve that problem? I don't, and I don't think so. But Garrett, I'm curious to think, what was your initial reaction to these? At least we'll start with the four proposals that Ross Dellinger is reporting on. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously I think you're correct. There is an issue with the timing. These games take too long. Nobody wants to stand around for that long. Nobody wants to sit in a stadium for that long. And this does get sore from, on the couch during some of these SEC yeah. and CBS games, man. <laughs> I mean, look, one of the longest experiences of my life was at the uh, it was the Texas A and M Tennessee game in 2016, where it had the CBS primetime window. It was a big game. Trevor Knight and Josh Dobbs and 
eight versus nine and both were undefeated, all that stuff, right? It was an exciting game. It was a lot of fun. But, man, it just seemed like every time they had a chance to cut to commercial, that guy with the orange sleeve ran out on the field. And let me tell you what, we'll talk about this. Nothing bothers me like that guy with the orange sleeve. And, and you know, so if there's anything we can do to make the game shorter and not have to stand out there, yeah, that's great. I, I'm, I'm a fan. Let's, let's get this thing rolling. Let's do as much as we can. In terms of the proposals, I guess if we want to go one by one, we can. Talking about the consecutive timeouts for icing the kicks – I'm fine with that. I, I really have no issue with that. You know, I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of a difference anyway. You get your one timeout, that makes them think about it enough. It was novel when coaches first discovered that they could do that. I feel like maybe like right. mid 2000s is when that trend really started. I could be dating myself here. That might have been a thing for much longer than that. But um, I, it felt like it made a sometimes makes a difference. I feel like it more bites the coaches that call the timeouts in the butt more than it does the actual opposing kicker though. So I'm fine right. with that one as well. Because well, especially because sometimes you'll see the kicker miss the kick and then you find out the other coach called the timeout and then they let them line it up one more time. I totally get it if you miss it one way, then you miss it the other way and you can kind of get in a guy's head. But especially for those longer kicks in college, a 40, 50 yard kick, those are hard kicks to make anyways. And I think we saw in the national championship game, poor kid from Ohio State, or not the national championship game, but the semifinal. Semifinal, game. yeah. Yeah, the the poor kid from Ohio State, man. I, I felt so bad for him. He was clearly just nervous. He, I'm sure he's made that field goal so many times in his life. Absolutely. And it was just the nerves of the moment. It's super late. It was like right at midnight, right? And so it, it's it's just a rough situation for for a lot of those college kickers. Anyways, I don't think you're really winning a lot with that. Uh, you know, consecutive timeouts. I think canning those, even if you wanted to just do it within a couple minutes, it, it stops the it stops the games in the middle from getting long and boring and dragged out, right? Even if you wanted to just let it happen at the end of a game. Okay, fine, right? That's not dragging out the result. It's just dragging out that one situation at the end of the game. So if they wanted to make it an under two minutes, under one minute situation, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any issues with that. The second one, the no one time down at the end of the first quarter, third quarter, fine. This is the most no-brainer one to me. It has never made any sense at all. That we have a defensive pass interference. Uh, it, it's a super rare occurrence, right? Like I think right. people might be listening to this and maybe realizing for the first time that we do this in college football. It's super rare. It's not going to affect very many games. I'd say probably less than 5% if I just had to throw a number at it. But it makes absolutely no sense to have an untimed down. Um, short of like right. a really windy situation. Like I could see like a coach being really frustrated that now they have to go into a 30 mile an hour win versus, sure. you know, but you're going to have to do that anyway. One play later, like, right. Sorry. Your one play last shot at the end of the quarter didn't work out, but like, let's come on. Let's well, and like <laughs> uh, on the average college football season, how much time is this saving? You know what I mean? That's, that's my right. real question yeah. here with this suggestion. Like, okay, I can get behind this, but that feels like a really small thing that doesn't matter. It, it like feels like they make their list look a little bit longer. And right. they, 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 it seems they, like they came up with like one or two good. Re- We've all done this writing essays, right? You have to do like three <laughs> objectives and you can only think of like one and a half. Your third, so your third paragraph is usually the weakest. It's one teeny tiny. Me. Yeah. Right. And so we've all done this writing essays in college and stuff like that. We know what it's like. Um, the third one is clock running on first downs, except inside uh, two minutes of a half. Okay. I, I kind of like that. I, I would prefer that you get more time because it does – I think that can do the time of possession thing, and I think that has a bigger impact on the game is 
you know, if you're if you're not allowing the clock to run, or, or sorry, if you're allowing the clock to run, you know, once the ball is spotted after first down, like I think that's just kind of letting the time of possession thing happen, and it does favor teams that are more run style teams, maybe not as talented, but just want to play a little bit of ball control there. It favors those teams. I'd prefer the slowdown and make those teams earn it. And if you're going to hold the ball, force them to hold the ball and keep converting on plays. Because to me, that makes sense. I'm not aggressively upset at that, right? I I wouldn't be the first to be like, no, this is bad. We need to, you know, stop the clock. Like, I'm not going to, you know, hate that rule if it does get passed. But I think it would affect the games. That fourth one, though, I think that's the real issue. Yeah, That's the issue for me. That would be completely changing how the game is played and the third one the clock running on first downs that would change some players gonna have to adjust to that when they go to the nfl anyways i think i kind of if we want to really speed up the game i think this would cut down on we're going to talk about commercials here in just a second but um that's the biggest thing that we really need to Mm -hmm. do to cut down on this game but clock running on first downs i think makes sense i don't think these are college age athletes. I don't think we need to stop the clock, give everybody a round of applause and bring orange slices out every time we get 10 yards, sure. right? Like it, it makes sense in lower levels of football, middle school and high school, you got to regroup every four plays or so. Right. so yes. Giving that time to kind of coach up, to get a play in, to kind of like breathe for a second. I really like you know, I know some purists, like if there's a big co- comeback that's trying to happen, stopping the clock on first down definitely helps the team that's behind and it would result maybe in fewer total comeback victories. So maybe you extend that to five minutes of a half. I don't know. Two minutes right. is definitely uniform with the NFL um, with the two minute warning. But yeah, you extend that to five minutes, whatever. I don't think that we need to stop the clock. I've, I've felt that way for a long time. I don't think that we need to stop the clock. Um, every time we get a first down for the entirety of the game. Now, clock running on incompletion, that is a stupid idea. Please never do this. Whoever is listening to this show might have some influence on the rules committee. I think that's going to get voted down. Like, I, I don't see any coaches or commissioners or athletic directors agreeing to that rule. So I'm not, I, if you had to rank it, that's definitely the least likely to get uh, passed because it's, the dumbest, quite frankly. No, it, it is. It, it forces, I mean, you could call an air raid offense a ball control offense. <laughs> and that, that shouldn't happen. You yeah. shouldn't be allowed to run, you know, real quick to the line and we're going to toss a ball. And if it's incomplete, we're going to let the clock still run. Because then you get air raid offenses that are already kind of difficult to cover that can string out like 12-minute possessions just by yeah. virtue of the fact that they threw the ball 30 times in a drive or something like that. You know, and it's it's a little absurd to me. I think that that's – I don't see really a way forward where that makes a lot of sense because, I, I mean, for obvious reasons, and especially if we're talking about inside of a couple minutes and, you know, it just doesn't allow for teams to come back or to, to really use any strategy in terms of what types of plays they're running. It, it doesn't really incentivize – you know, passing the football as opposed to running the football because, you know, there's an inherent incentive in throwing the football if you're trying to come back from behind. Otherwise, it's handed off to your running backs, which if we want more collision and, you know, hitting people and all stuff like that instead of guys catching the ball in space and, you know, then running out of bounds, if we want more of that, then we could do that. But I thought we were moving towards a safer situation for the players. I thought we were trying to find ways to minimize contact, not to say that we'd never want to run the football, because right. running the football is a big part of football. I'm not trying to get away from that. I, I don't want seven on seven. But 
you know, if, if we're going to have this complex game with different ways that you can run plays, different styles of offense, you know, different strategies and the way you build your team, then we have to allow for there to be reasons why people do that. Otherwise, you're going to get a uniform, a uniform sport where nothing actually is different. And it's just, okay, well, who can pass it better, run it better? Because there's no difference in the strategy. There's no way to distinguish yourself from another team or to, to catch them with some kind of strategy. It, just, it, it kills a lot of what strategy goes into the game. And, and there's far better ways to save time in football. There's far better ways to save time. Yeah, and you know we'll talk about some of those here in just a second. Obviously, this is not just a college football problem. We see the MLB. Obviously, if you haven't watched any spring training or kept up with that, there's a pitch clock this year. Got to be on the mound, ready to pitch with 10 seconds to go, or it's a ball. You have to be in the box, ready to bat, or it's a strike. And we've seen, I know this past weekend, we saw a spring training game. Bases loaded, two outs in the ninth. Game ends on a called uh, strike because the batter wasn't in the box. And so yep. MLB is working for fan engagement on that to shorten the games. I got to go to a college baseball game last weekend, and it is noticeable how much quicker the game is moving because of an adjustment in the pitch clock. They're doing something similar to the MLB. Right. But, you know, I think you definitely can go too far in that incompletion rule would certainly go too far in my mind. Yeah. It, but, you know, I, I think it's really kind of a commentary on, you know, where we're at as a society. I don't think that, you know, back when attention spans were longer, not, you know, dictated by social media, the games were shorter. So it's kind of a chicken or egg situation, but we definitely right. have shorter attention spans as a society. We want to get younger viewers. We want to get people to tune in for the entirety of a game. And that's going to kind of lead into this next thing where the, Biggest issue, obviously, in the length of games is the amount of commercials. And you touched yep. on this, Garrett, where there's nothing worse than standing at a game or sitting at a game, big moment, tons of energy in the crowd, and then the guy in the orange gloves just runs out on the field yep. and holds up his uh, sign that says, well, we're going to be sitting here for three and a half minutes, and you just have to slowly watch the yep. time tick down off of his yep. little clock. There's nothing worse than that. And obviously we talked about these TV contracts. Obviously that money has to come from somewhere and that money comes largely from ad revenue. Broad uh, companies want to advertise on these, uh, on these games because they're one of the only things people watch live anymore. Mm -hmm. But man, the number of commercials is obviously the biggest issue. And I don't know. I, I, I do think there are ways to fix that, but it would definitely be, very radical. And I don't know that the companies involved that are wanting to buy these ad slots would definitely, I don't know that they would be on board with those radical changes. Well, let's be objective here for just a second, because obviously, you know, it, it kills the environment. It kills the moment, all of that stuff, right? If you want more eyeballs to see your commercials, you're going to want more people watching the product first. That's the right? logic that I would follow. You, you, well, that apparently like, cause me, when I'm watching college football on a Saturday, unless it's my team playing, I'm not watching any commercials. There right. are enough games on that I am going, like if I'm watching a Big Ten game on ABC, I, it goes to commercial, I'm immediately flipping to ESPN or yes. Fox or ESPN2. No, right. And, and so, you know, for me, I'm looking at this saying, I want as many people watching my channel for my commercials as possible I think the best format is the way that YouTube and Twitch does this, right? Where you have brief breaks from the action 
and you know it, it's a quick thing it can you know happen at a at a you know predetermined time slot and you can still have production crews running the whole thing where they say oh we're doing a timeout let's hit two or three commercials just a couple quick ones 15 30 second ads and we're right back into it you can even have it split on the screen if you want to you can have we're going to split this if there's like a particularly long you know, situation where, you know, you're having to wait for a player to hobble off the field or, you know, something like that, then then you can do that, right? You can have those little moments. You can also do this between first quarter and second quarter, between, you know, third quarter and fourth quarter. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is these companies probably already have these ads in this format because they're already advertising on YouTube and on Twitch and on all these other social media sites. So they already have short form ads, and the only time that we actually like advertisements anyways is at the Super Bowl, and it's because they're not playing the same thing over and over again. It's a new <laughs> ad every time, right? And I'm not exactly. saying that we have to make a brand new ad for every single second, but you could limit one or two you know, run-throughs per time, or, or you could you know, sell the space for such a price that it wouldn't make sense for a company to you know, buy that many spots of advertising because it's more scarce, right? I don't need to see the Whopper, 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 Whopper commercial (laughs) 46 times before halftime. I don't need that in my life. Nobody needs that much Whopper in their life. And so, you know, I just, I'm kind of sitting here, I'm wondering like, why don't we just switch to a shorter form anyways, not cut to so many commercials, right? Just, you can have one quick ad between the kickoff and the team getting on the field. Right. One quick ad, split the screen. You watch the offense run onto the field. You can even wait till the ad goes for the ref to blow the whistle and we can get started. Right. If we just really need the extra five or 10 seconds for the ad. But just cut the ads. We Nobody's watching them anyways. Nobody's watching these TV commercials. Nobody's watched TV commercials in 20 years. Right. And so it, it just it's. If they're wanting to modernize for a modern audience, then take some advice from these other modern platforms that people are watching on and have shorter commercials or, or limit your commercial space overall. F- figure out a different way to do ad revenue. Yeah. And you know, I, I could rant for a while about how TV markets and it seems like everything's geared to the 60 plus crowd. Like we have to make mm-hmm. this so easy. It has to be on network TV. Streaming is not an option, right? It's, everything's so catered to that crowd. No offense if you're listening and you're 60 plus, but if you're listening to this podcast, you know how to work a podcast. So you're probably not who I'm talking about. Yeah, um, You're but, probably also upset at your peers for not knowing how to use technology. Exactly. You're the one at the, at the breakfast club that's, you know, teaching them how to use their phone. And so shout out to you. <laughs> we need you in, in this society, but man, like we got to figure something out. I, I watch a lot of soccer, Garrett. I know you do too. And soccer's had to do this forever. There are no commercial breaks in a soccer game because it's, there's no stoppage of play. So it's the biggest sport in the world. These companies in Europe and in Asia and other places where soccer is the most watched sport, they've figured it out. They have a little banner ad during the game and it's, you know, distracting a little bit. If you're trying to watch the game, there's big banners around the sides. There's advertisements on the jerseys. There's ads everywhere at a soccer game. And they might be a little bit distracting, but they're not cutting away from the game for three minutes or making me change the channel. So it's we can figure this out like we definitely can. But there's no motivation to figure it out right now, partially because we're all still watching. Yeah, no, I mean, you're totally right about that. Another idea that I had had separate to the commercial thing about how to shorten some of these games you can cut the time between the quarters and specifically at halftime. You can cut part yeah. of halftime. You don't have to cut halftime because I understand that 
to some degree, there's a competitive aspect to it, right? Where you're making adjustments at halftime, you know, kind of making sure everyone's, you know, hydrated, rested a little bit, give them a chance to breathe. But like you were saying, you know, it's, it's not bring out some orange slices. Like these are college athletes. They get plenty of time for conditioning. If they can't get it done during the week, five or 10 minutes at halftime ain't going to help them that much. You know, if, if you're hurt and you're back in the locker room trying to get your little injections or whatever else to make sure that you're good to go, then that's fine. But you can get all that done in a shorter period of halftime. You can still do that in a shorter halftime period. I'm not saying that that's the way to go. Clearly, I think the commercials issue is the biggest issue. But if you're still looking for, you know, seconds to trim because we're still talking about untimed downs, if we're looking for seconds to trim, I think we can take them out of halftime or between the quarters. Yeah, the the only thing getting in the way of that, obviously, in college is like band performances and spirit squads and things like that. And look, I, yeah. love it. It's great. It's fantastic. Do that. If high schools can do it in a shorter time frame, then you can do it in a shorter time frame, too. Oh, brother, you have not been to a high school football game recently. It, no, I've, I've halftime at, at high school games is 28 minutes. That's the standard. That's not what we get it done in the in the mid cities in the Fort Worth. So I have to uh, twenty my yeah. I, we'll, we'll maybe it's a little bit about this. Mitch and, I, <laughs> Mitch and I got to call a a high school football game together. Mitch calls a lot of high school football, but it was like my one debut. Um, and <laughs> one of the bands didn't even march, and we sat there and just stared at a blank field for tw- like probably. 15, 20 minutes after the first band march. But, it, yeah. but see, you can get your bands to march and be done in 15 to 20 minutes tops. Well, yeah. Like, we, they we don't have, have to be these have, long shows. Yeah, we have a 20-minute halftime in, in college now. NFL yeah, halftime, I think, in the regular season is about 12 minutes. So that's definitely a big difference right there. Other things that I would say, like, we need to get rid of this old challenge system. Like that, yes. that needs to like, we do not need a review if the pass was complete or incomplete and it gained three yards. We do not need to stop the, stop the game and analyze every frame and look at these replays for three minutes just to see if they gained three yards or not. If the coach cares enough about that, make them throw a challenge flag. Yeah. Like I guarantee you 99% of coaches do not care about those three yards unless it results in a first down conversion. Right. But if it's like second and 10 and we got, you know, three yards, it's third and seven. So third and 10, we don't need to look at that for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Make them throw a challenge flag if they really want to look on it. Yeah. And what I love that the XFL is doing is adding transparency to that. They are talking through every single thing that they're seeing. They have a camera on the referee. If you guys haven't seen it, Look it up on YouTube. It's really fascinating what yeah. the XFL is doing with this replay processes. And another thing that I've advocated for a really long time is having a time limit on the review. You want to yeah. set it at two minutes. You want to set it at 90 seconds, whatever it is, that's fine. But if you can't determine within 90 seconds if a play needs to be overturned or not, it doesn't need to be overturned. Because right. it's indisputable video evidence. If it's taking you that long to determine that you have right. indisputable video evidence, newsflash, it's not indisputable. So right. we need to have a time limit on these reviews. No more stopping the game every two plays to look at frame by frame. Did he catch this ball? Did we spot it a yard off or not? Like, let, let's figure that out. Let's make coaches challenge that if they really care. Right. No, I'm totally with you. And like, like you were saying, if it takes you longer than a minute to tell if something's indisputable, 
It's not indisputable, right? You, yep. you can't tell if it's that close. If you're, oh, well, I can't. And I understand in cases of figuring out, like, if you're going to overturn it, having to go back and spot the ball, how much time is on the clock, right? Stuff like that makes sense but for a longer review. Crowd and update the broadcast. Right. Like, click on your little microphone, say, hey, we've determined that this was not a catch. Now we're determining where to spot the ball. And yeah, exactly. On the clock. That's fine. I don't care about yeah. that. Or even, like... Back. Have a button that like flashes it on the scoreboard if you don't want to talk because you're still figuring that part out, right? Just have a button yeah. that goes overturned, and then they go back and spot the ball, and then the guy comes out there and gives an update on the microphone. Like there, there can be ways to shorten this without yeah. being absurd. The XFL is doing it right now. They are talking mm-hmm. through. They're like, okay, we figured out that this is not a catch. Now we're figuring out the spot, and it updates yeah. everybody watching. It updates everybody at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Super easy. So, listen, and one last thing. If, if and TV executive, whoever invented the commercial kickoff commercial sequence, oh my gosh, whoever you are, just just screw you, man. Like, yeah, no, you don't need to. Whoever be. whoever you are, like we all hate you. I want you to know that. Yep, you're a menace to society, and you can't <laughs> cease and desist immediately. Hey, hot take approved on that one. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, um, as we kind of wind down this episode, I know none of us want less college football. I just want to make that abundantly clear. I think the argument against some of these things is, oh, why would you want less football? It's less time that you get to enjoy watching a game. You're not getting a quality time of watching a game when you're just staring at an empty field for three and a half minutes in the stadium. No one really enjoys that. No one really enjoys sitting out. And even if it's a great game, I don't think anyone really enjoys sitting out in 100 degrees for four and a half hours on a September afternoon. We just want right. more quality, right? We want, you know, more quality action, more. I think we'll be able to fit more games on TV. We'll be able to watch more and consume more if it's more quality in smaller chunks. Right. And look, everyone likes going to the movies, too. But nobody likes sitting there watching the timer with the popcorn popping. Right. Nobody wants to go watch the timer. And it doesn't make it better if there's a guy standing next to it with an orange sleeve. That doesn't help the situation. Right. It doesn't make it better just because he waves his arm at the end of it. And you go, yay, popcorn time. Like, the again, that's not what we're there for. We're there for the fun parts. We're there to, you know, get the popcorn, sit down, watch a movie. Just the same way that we are for a football game. Right. We want to sit down. We want to watch football. We want to watch them, you know, do what they do. There's a reason we love this game. We just want to watch this game without too many interruptions, right? It's like if you're watching a movie and every couple minutes they pause the movie and said, whopper, 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 whopper. And you're just like, I was in the middle of something. What are you interrupting me for? Right. And and so this isn't about less football. We just want to watch more football. And again, this could help with the TV deals, right? Maybe you can actually slip in more of those games from two to five if you were to you know, cut some of these commercials so you can actually make some of these TV deals that might help the Pac-12 or the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just another thing that's going to change about college football. I think this report this week solidified that it's not if, but when these mm-hmm. changes are coming, how many of them we see it remains to be seen. But, you know, in a dream world, we'd have less commercials. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, but We will see some other things that I think kind of speed along the process a little bit, maybe make it a little different on the field, but definitely more consumable on the field as well. So Garrett, As we kind of wind down this episode, I know we've got a lot to talk about. Lots of stuff coming up, like I talked about off the top. Be on the lookout for more draft coverage. More coverage about individual teams as well. Mitch is killing it on both of those fronts. Mm -hmm. And I'll tease this too. Be on the lookout for a major announcement from 
three tech HQ um, as we uh, go around this week. So Garrett, without anything further ado, um, great show for the rest of us, for Mitch, who couldn't be here with us today. Um, I'm Trey Reeves. I'll see you next time.